Baby boomers. I used to be with it. Millennials. Okay, boomer. Generation X. What's going on? And Gen Z. <laughs> what do they have in common? Not a lot, it turns out. But one thing they can agree on is that this is the political podcast they want to listen to. Welcome to Not My Generation, the political podcast that looks at political events, news and happenings across the world and at home through a generational lens. Your hosts are Dr. Emily Stacy and Professor James Davenport, two political scientists from Rose State College. But the views expressed on this program are solely the views of the host and their guests and do not reflect the views of Rose State College, its administration, faculty, or students. Coming up on today's program. I've got problems, Harvard. <laughs> the older I get, the more I tend to appreciate some of these moderates. Our financial situation is going down the tubes, but hey, we're pretty optimistic anyway. You know? <laughs> this was super, super interesting. And now, here are James and Emily. Hello, Emily. Hey. How are you today? Good. You'll be happy to note, uh, you know, it is, we're still kind of in the middle of Christmas break, right? Right, right. Uh, and so two days ago, I've actually made it one year closer to 40, right? So I know you uh, kind of like to keep, Okay. Right? I'm you getting just, up there, dude. You, uh, right. We're getting there. A little bit. Here. Mm, Elder yeah. millennial, man. It's, uh, ugh. Every time you say something like that, I just feel older. Right. right? I spent I spent uh, part of my birthday at the doctor's office. I'm really getting that uh, adult yeah. feeling. Now I get that, right? I have done that many a time. Uh, it is, we're recording uh, on December 29th. Yes. The last episode of 2023. Indeed. We're not going to do a highlight reel, right? Because no, 2023 was pretty we rough. we should think about that at the end of next year. We could piece something together. That might be fun. That, yes, maybe <laughs> next year. No, we, let's just let this one go. Let this <laughs> one, yeah, you know, 2023 has been an odd year. It, it really has uh, on a whole range of, of ways, right? So, uh, but, uh, but I'm excited looking forward to 2024. Uh, it's going to be very eventful. Uh, for some of us, it might be very depressing, depending on what yeah, occurs. Uh, right. For some of us, it might be very productive, depending on professionally or whatever. Um, I, as we will get into the poll, I think people are uh, really of two different minds about the state of the world or the state of the economy, these kind of things. I mean, yeah. it just seems like people are all over the place in how they answer certain questions. And maybe as we were discussing before uh, we came on, maybe that's due to some of the questions not being well written yeah. or yeah. or very explanatory. I've so. got problems, Harvard. <laughs> so, uh, but it is the last program of the year. I'm excited. Yeah. Uh, it's good to see you after this kind of break. It feels like it's been a long break. I know it hasn't been, it but hasn't it feels been. like it is, yeah. has been. Uh, and uh, and I think there's just been a whole lot going on since we last were on. Forever, yeah. Uh, and uh, lots of, we got a couple of polls we're going to be talking about. We have uh, states weighing in on whether or not they're going to let former President Trump mm -hmm. on the ballot uh, this coming election. Mm -hmm. 
We did. I'm just going to mention this very briefly, but uh, Superintendent uh, Walters did comply, apparently, yes. with the subpoena. Uh, comply you know, is a very generous word. I read that. It sounds like a document dump it is was, what it sounded like. Was, they just yeah. provided a bunch of documents and, and said, here you go. Yeah, the the, the overlying like summary report was, I, I think your children write longer book reports. Um, so I, I think comply is, yeah, right, it's the very basic, right, the, the minimum, yeah. <laughs> the minimum. So we will, you know, I, I'm sure as they get into all of that and go through that, yeah. there may be some follow up. It'll be interesting, uh, yeah. But but it was interesting that he at, yeah. he at least avoided the the controversy of not complying in some right. way. Right? Yeah, no, he had to. He knows we're getting to February, man. It's February is coming. And those legislators, on, I mean, Mark McBride is a Republican. These are, I mean, it's a Republican supermajority. So this is not, you know, some woke liberal mob coming for Ryan Walters. Well, that depends this on if, his you, own party. if you listen to Walters or you listen to other people, right? Uh, you know, I, <laughs> McBride is apparently uh, anyone who disagrees with Walters is a woke liberal a person who's trying to subvert good American wholesome and Oklahoma value, you know, so who knows? Uh, But, uh, but that was interesting. Um, uh, So what else do we got that you wanted? uh, We, there was an interesting, you were talking about earlier, a um, PBS uh, interview that, that was, you thought was pretty interesting as well. So where do we want to lead off? Uh, Do you want to start with the ballot challenges? Yes, let's do that. All Let's right. do that. So um, go ahead. I mean, uh, so so we've had three states now, kind of uh, two, you had state Supreme Courts mm-hmm. issue rulings. So you had the Colorado ruling. The court said, we think Trump uh, was engaged in insurrection or whatnot. And so we've declared that he's ineligible to be right. on our ballot. Uh, the Michigan Supreme Court said, we're not even going to touch that and basically left stand a lower court ruling saying he could be on their ballot. And then you said this morning that Maine's secretary of state, so not a court, but the secretary of state uh, declared that Trump was ineligible to be be on on their ballot. ballot. Yes. So Um, yeah, will he or won't he? Well, the Colorado (laughs) issue obviously was settled yesterday. So he can, Uh, in fact, at least for the right, it it stands. Um, He was never off the ballot, right? Right. It was, they right, stayed there. No, they right. stayed there. Their, their uh, decision. Ruling. Yes, right. exactly. Um, so that that was resolved ish. Uh, but I think all of this boils down to the, the Supreme Court, right? It's got to. They've got to rule. They're going to have sooner to. than later. But yeah, Maine being the latest. Uh, Maine itself, kind of a more purple turning mm-hmm. state. Sure, right. Uh, they have a, a Democratic Secretary of State, uh, and so you have a lot of folks on social media railing against this lady because she's part of that woke liberal mob, quote unquote. <laughs> Um, but I mean, yeah, you've got this. The Supreme Court has got to say something about this sooner rather than later. You're going to have these individual states doing this until June. <laughs> so here's my concern about the way some of this is being handled. Uh, and for those who have listened long enough, everyone should know I am not a Trump backer. Yeah. I'm not on the Trump train. He is not. Uh, but I have real concerns when say, take the Colorado court ruling, for example, basically the court, without ever having a trial, without ever having any charges specifically on the issue of insurrection, just summarily declares, ah, we think you were engaged in insurrection, and so you're now not on the ballot. 
Uh, and I got issues with that type of thing because I certainly don't want uh, the court either any court coming back, you know, maybe a red state court comes in. You know what? We think Joe Biden probably did right. uh, benefit from Hunter's activities. And so we're just not going to allow him to be eligible right. for the. I don't want that either. Right. Um, interestingly enough, because I was looking at this when the Colorado ruling came out. There's been over a thousand people charged with activities related to January 6th. That was right? going to be my next. None statement. of them, not one, has been charged with insurrection. Okay. Um, Trump, in all of his legal 90 some charges filed against him, not one has been on the issue of insurrection, right? I don't know how a court just decides we're going to declare him having done that without going through some due process, without having some kind of charges filed, case been the opportunity to defend themselves. So, well, you do have, right? He is, there is the, the he's indicted, right? Uh, at least one of the cases is regarding the... But not for, there's a federal statute that defines right. insurrection right. and how it is applied. And in none of these charges has he been filed, has he been charged under that statute? Uh, and so... Uh, and and maybe it's a case of we're loosely defining insurrection, but that that statute defines it pretty pretty strictly and says here's what it means, and he hasn't been charged with any of that, and and that's my issue. And so we're talking the Fourteenth Amendment section. So that's what Colorado said. He right. he did this right? right, but Congress passed a law that specifically says. Here's insurrection. Here's how it's charged. When was that passed? This was passed. Oh my gosh, uh, it's been a while back, several decades. That, okay, it may I'm be just, longer. No, than no, that. I'm yeah. just trying to get a kind uh, of. A and I should have looked it up. I looked it up at once, but um, because I want to. He hasn't been charged sure. under that statute. I want to make clear though that the Fourteenth Amendment right was adopted in what 1868. 1868. That's right. Uh, and it's so not new. <laughs> again, right, uh, you have some extremely vague language or non right, right? right. Um, and so it's good that Congress has redefined it I'd be interested it I'll, we'll find that and definition the 14th amendment does give Congress the right. ability the to enact right. operative mm-hmm. statutes right. right yes absolutely yeah uh, so that's my only issue I listen it'll be interesting I I have no qualms if uh, and I certainly think Trump is guilty of a lot of stuff I'm a little iffy on uh, rhetoric, the the rhetoric and, and insurrection was it an insurrection? Regardless, what happened on January sixth was an attempt to interfere with a a legal federal government operation, right? Constitu- right, the constitutional, constitutional transition. Right? Of That's power. exactly right. it, it was right. interfering with that. I don't think there's any question about that. I also don't think there's any question that uh, Trump. Uh, at the very least, gave as the the statute and as the, the 14th Amendment um, aid and comfort to the people okay. engaged in that. Okay. I think that is clear too, okay. right? Um, but what I would like to see is a court sure. take care of that with all the trappings of due process sure. engaged. Okay. And yeah. then if states want to say, "Hey, he's guilty. He's not going to be," I'm all for that. I am a okay with that. Yeah. Uh, I just have th- this process of courts without a trial, without an opportunity for defendants to defend themselves summarily, just say, yeah, you did it. And so that that's my only issue. Uh, 
Um, not that I disagree with he did something illegal. Yeah. <laughs> not that I disagree with it should disqualify him from sure. s- serving in that office. Uh, I just, I think process matters. In, in, in yes, American government, does. we talk about that to. all the time. It process has to. has to matter. It has to matter. That's but, the only but way I you do get think to equity. This is going to be interesting. And I think it's going to be interesting how the Supreme Court handles this I too. Uh, I hope it's not a purely partisan divide. I can't uh, imagine. And, and I'm going to tell you, this court has had a lot more um, unified rulings. I mean, not the bigger ones, not yeah. like the Dobbs or stuff, right. but in some of these, in some of the cases regarding Trump, mm-hmm. lots yeah. of unanimity yes, or at least very close yeah. to it on, on some of these Agreed. things, right? Yeah. So I'm hoping that the court finds a way and Roberts really would, seems yeah. to be very, very intent on trying to minimize that partisan kind of divide he where he can. is solely concerned with the legitimacy of his right. court. Right. Period. And, and, and so I think he'll be working really hard uh, to try to do that. And I hope he's successful. I agree. Uh, you know, yeah. Whatever Amen. they come out with, I hope the court does not, people aren't going to say if they're Democrats, oh, look, all those Republicans, or if they're Republicans, look at those Democrats or whatever, right? I think it's just. I never thought I'd say thanks, George W. Bush, for uh, John G. Roberts, man. But he, yeah, right. And thanks for the moderate conservatives, <laughs> sir. <laughs> I told you, the older I get, the more I tend to appreciate some of these moderates. You know, when I was yeah. when I was a young conservative Republican, you know, I all oh, those rhino, you know, mm-hmm. not being a Republican anymore. Uh, that's a whole different thing, but. I appreciate some moderates here and there, right? This they, is a party that would eat Paul Ryan. This was, I mean, they would eat. I saw a clip of, I mean, of just um, Kevin McCarthy. A a a uh, speech that uh, President Reagan was giving over immigration and, and the importance of immigration. And I was like, he would never make it in a Republican primary. This uh, not at today. This point in time, yeah, Mm-mm, right. Not today. Just crazy. Compassionate conservatism is long that's, gone. That's long gone, right? <laughs> yeah, very interesting. So yeah, we'll see going into 2024 what what happens. But yeah, it the Supreme Court's got to be. Yeah, yeah and I they, and, and I think as you said earlier, uh, it's got to be sooner rather than later, right? They can't let this drag out. It's going to be bad, right? You yeah. just let one state after the other, after the other, after. And the what other. you're going to have is you're going to have perhaps again, um, more bluish states taking him off the ballot, red states having him on, and. I, we don't want an election happening how do you, that way. Yeah, how do you no, justify, legitimize, yeah, at yeah. that point, mer, yeah, it's a bad situation. Not good. Indeed. So uh, let's talk about the PBS poll really quickly okay. before yeah. we get, it, it sort of encapsulates uh, and leads us to everything else. So PBS uh, published an interview with uh, the founder of a state news policy kind of organization okay. akin to non-doc and OK Voice, et cetera, um, just kind of uh, judging state legislative sessions that are coming up in 2024 um, and what the, he believed would be the focus nationwide, um, tax cuts, right? So in the in the red states and the blue states, both uh, tax cuts will remain a, a clearly a salient talking point specifically related to property taxes. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of you homeowners out there, right, my avocado toast millennial <laughs> self uh, does not at this point, uh, but apparently due to the rising housing cost, property taxes have also increased. Yep. And so you have a yep. lot of... A lot of governors and state legislators that are very keen to relieve some of that pressure uh, down below on on homeowners. So okay, so I f- that'll be interesting. Uh, yeah, a little, sure. A little tangent here, not not big. Yay, but is this Davenport no, 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 for the I'm day? not going to rant. I promise. Oh, okay. I, I just find it interesting uh, that you have these two tensions working against each other. 
we want to keep property taxes low, yeah. but we're not going to do anything to allow more housing to be developed, yep. which is going to drive property values up, yep. which drives up property taxes, exactly. right? right. Uh, so at some point, some people got to pull their heads out of you know where uh, and figure this out. You're right? telling me the economy is cyclical? Uh, I'm just saying that, and and this is a matter of federalism, right? Because local governments primarily deal with zoning issues and where housing can be built, what kind of housing can be built, right? Uh, And they are at this point the bottleneck, those local governments on this issue. Uh, and, And somebody needs to figure out a way to put some pressure on them to say, we want more housing for people. We want affordable housing for people. Yeah. Find a way to get it built, yep. right? Uh, and and as a property owner, you know, it's not the government's responsibility to ensure that an asset that I have purchased increases in value. It's right. not his oh, job, no. right. right? We would never say that about somebody who buys a stock and say, oh, it's the government's job to make sure that stock continuously right. goes up, yeah. right? Yeah. But somehow we've said that with housing. Right. Uh, and and it's really distorted the way people think about housing, I think. Uh, and uh, and because of the lack of affordable housing, we have a lot of people, a lot of younger folks who would like to have their own home who just can't. Me. Right? Yeah. And and that's not fair. Uh, it's not right. Uh, and uh, and we need to do something. But that's just right. a tangent. Sorry, no, I, I didn't mean to, to go too just far down the rabbit one. hole, you know, but but we got to figure that no, out. No, I totally agree because I chose a PhD and now I'm having to try to figure out how those loans, uh, how we can get a, a house. A house, that, yeah. Right? And that's, it's, it's, it's hard. It's a very challenging issue. That's exactly right. It's difficult. Uh, workforce development, okay. workforce retention and development. This is across the board, uh, the name of the game. And you've been hearing, we've been hearing it in Oklahoma for the last, what, three, four, five years, um, at least, the focus on workforce. And I think it will continue to be uh, a major one here. So can you tell me, what do we mean by workforce development? Um, So developing specifically the skills uh, of the retiring boomer generation. So as we talk about on on this podcast, uh, you have Gen X, uh, my generation, the millennials, and, you know, Gen, uh, Gen Z coming in to fill these jobs that don't have the knowledge, right, in some of these very old uh, or antiquated industries uh, in some of this industrial work. Um, and so it's we're having a really difficult time replacing these folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you also have uh, states, right? It, it, back in the day, back in back in your day, uh, back in the 1980s or so, you were seeing, you know, states compete for larger businesses, right? Big corporations uh, to come in. Now they are competing for workforce, right? Specific uh, workforces, right? It reminds me of uh, the bill board, we were coming back from the Beyonce concert uh, in Missouri uh, and at the kind of state line, you saw a teacher recruitment sign. Mm-hmm. Um, like, hey, we paid this much. Come to Missouri. I, I was, you know, taken aback by that, right? Uh, and, and and we're seeing it all, all the time. And so um, that, that workforce development is an important thing, but retention, uh, you know, states being able to hold on to these uh, you know, skilled workers are that's is such very a challenging challenging thing for all states right Mm -hmm. now uh, is to, and certainly a state like Oklahoma, we we have a small population to begin with. We have, um, 
a relatively poor population compared to a lot of other places in the country, especially some of our nearby neighbors. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when people graduate college or they uh, go through a uh, career tech or something and they're looking for opportunities, a lot of times they look out of state Absolutely. because they see more opportunities there. Yeah. Right. Uh, and so how do we as a state or better paying try to create? Yes. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and how do we keep those folks here and the, the there's no easy solution. No, absolutely. As we've seen with the teacher shortage, I mean, there is absolutely no easy solution. Right, emergency certifications, trying to you know roll people through and get degrees. Well, and, and even quicker, even on the, the you know we we talk about well we need to increase teacher salary. Well, guess what? Every other state's doing that too. And if they're already ahead of us, exactly, we can, we could increase it by ten thousand dollars a year. And we still might not catch up because they're that far ahead of us to begin with. And so it's extremely challenging for any policymaker to say, here's how we can solve this problem. To catch up when you're so far behind, unfortunately. Uh, And so they just broke it down, blue states versus red states, which I thought was interesting. So blue states are more likely or state legislators are more likely uh, to focus on uh, housing and homelessness uh, in blue states. Rent stabilization. So, of course, going back to the property tax, uh, avoiding rent and an eviction crisis. Uh, which, of course, we kind of mitigated during the pandemic, right, with with different subsidies and things like that, uh, incentivizing landlords not to evict. Uh, but those things are largely going away or have gone away at this point. Um, g- gun safety uh, as well and limiting assault, assault weapons is going to be a big one in blue states. Uh, and then red states, again, tax cuts, teacher retention, workforce retention and development. Uh, and then licensing licensure. That's a very difficult word to say. Uh, licensure reform uh, for some professional occupational uh, licensing. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. Yes. Right. Which totally feeds into the workforce development crisis. Right. If you uh, are unskilled, you want to have, uh, you, you know, development plans and education programs, training programs in place uh, and to make it uh, available and accessible to folks to get uh, the proper licensing to uh, cut hair or, you know, whatever the need may be. But you also don't want to make it so difficult that people just say no right. to begin the, with. The issue with occupational licensing and a whole range of occupations is that uh, in many ways it protects the haves from the have-nots, right? Uh, because you make it either they're so expensive to yeah. go through that unless you already have the resources to do that, you don't have the opportunity to obtain that uh, or the time frame in which you have to take to do it yeah. is is too long for some some sure. folks. Uh, some states are offering, uh, I just saw this in, was it Washington State or Oregon? Um, they are giving attorneys a way of getting their license without taking the bar exam. So it's almost, like, it's almost like an apprenticeship. Okay. Uh, and, and so it is so many hours of apprenticeship with an, uh, a practicing attorney, uh, and then they can earn their license that way, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, and so... Um, and you're seeing that with other occupations that you don't think of, but like uh, like you said, with uh, hairstylists, hair salon owners and such, uh, other, other occupations, I think we could really take a really good look at, are these licensing requirements, A, necessary? Are they simply protection for current owners and, and, and people who have the licenses? Uh, and how do we get that? Because that, I think that's a huge issue for, again, those who want to be entrepreneurial, those who want to have a skill, those who want to do this, but don't have the resources. Um, and we shouldn't be putting up barriers to those folks. Right. Totally agree. Yeah. So I, th- I think that's a good one to watch uh, as well. Excellent. 
So you want to move on to Harvard? Oh, Harvard, our favorite, our favorite place. Uh, yeah, man. <laughs> this one is it's a, an interesting uh, encapsulation of what's going on in America. I think, uh, as you uh, alluded to earlier, we seem to be very scattered, uh, and specifically by age group, which is perfect again for this podcast. Um, oh, the, and this poll did have some really good stuff breakdown. Very, so did yeah. so did the. Uh, if we get to it, the New York Times oh, yeah. poll had uh, yes. a good some good stuff based on, upon age as well. So, we'll get to it. I promise. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, in terms of uh, the Harvard Harris poll, uh, so this one was put out when early December, roughly. Yes, uh, December thirteenth and fourteenth. Okay. Did I see that yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, yeah yes, December thirteenth and fourteenth. Perfect. So, uh, a little bit, uh, just a bit before the New York Times poll. So, I, I just kind of wanted to com- be on the right track comparing those numbers. Um, really interesting. So, fifty nine percent relating to the conversation we just had about the economy uh, say that the economy is on the wrong track versus thirty three percent who say the right track. Uh, only forty four percent noting the economy is strong today. Uh, again, we've said it over. Over and over, it doesn't bode well for Biden going into 2024. No, it does not. And, uh, you know, uh, not surprisingly, there's a divide between Republicans, Democrats, and and independents. But for me, the problem for Biden is that only 27% of independents said that the country is on the right track economically, right? That the economy was doing, uh, going in the right Right. direction. And so that's who, uh, those folks are going to, those folks are going to, I think, make the difference in this election, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you don't want to be upside down with those, those, those voters. No, you're upside down with everybody. 49%, I loved this one, uh, 49% say their personal finances are getting worse. Uh, even so, even so 47% still are optimistic about life in the next okay. year. Yeah, I was which like, is, what's going on? Do they this. not make the connection? Are they looking at different things? Yeah. I, I guess I could say, look, financially, and I'm. let me just take myself personally, right? So we've got some expenses coming up this year that's going to make our financial position a little bit more challenging than it has been in, in prior years. Um uh, but on the whole, I could say, but, you know, everything else is going but the family's doing well. The kids are moving in the right direction. We've got good jobs. So maybe there's kind of that going on with right. some of these folks. I don't know. Right. But it, there does seem to be this kind of disconnect that our, our financial situation is going down the tubes. Right. But, hey, we're pretty optimistic. Anyway, we're good. You know? <laughs> yeah. I was I was bowled over by those two numbers. Uh, you know, 49 percent saying their finances is getting worse. Right. That's, I mean, that's your dinner table. That's your pocketbook. I just don't know how Biden can overcome that, especially when folks, you know, overwhelmingly said that their finances were better over, uh, under, I'm sorry, the Trump administration. What I found was interesting is you couple that with the question about the recession. Do you think, so 38% think we're in a recession now and 35% think we're going to go into a recession, right? So 73% think we're either in or going, headed towards a recession. we had a panel on this, people. We're not in a recession. We're not in a recession. Uh, The economy is actually very strong right now. Unemployment is low. Inflation is going in the right Right direction, direction. at least the the rate of growth. And I think this is what the disconnect is with voters on the issue of inflation, right? So you had inflation spike, right, up over 8% for a year. Um, Then, and while the rate of inflation has declined, it still went up. So if you look at the last two years, prices 11%, right, over where they were pre pre that time, right? So 
so I think voters are still reeling from that and they're not seeing uh, the relief come as fast as they would like to see it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, so just the approval rating I thought was also interesting, right? Um, just the com- the comparison. So Biden's mm-hmm. approval rating at its highest was 62%, and this was in June uh, of 2021. And I will note that this is like weeks before, right, uh, the withdrawal from Afghanistan began, and that tanked uh, Biden's uh, approval rating. So it was at its lowest uh, at 38% in February Mm -hmm. uh, and June uh, and July of 2022, um, except for, right, according to the New York Times poll, which we just mentioned, uh, I believe it was published on the 17th of December, Mm -hmm. uh, has him sitting at 37% right now. Um, So not... Not super numbers. That's not where you want to be a year out from election day. At all. Right? Yeah. Um, and it, I mean, what do you, what are you going to do to improve that? I, <laughs> I hate to be this way, but Biden's best hope is that Trump gets the Republican nomination. Uh, that, but is it is though? It, Good Lord, have the numbers I, I in know, your character? No, I, I, know. I don't know I, if it is. I, though. I say that, and then if I you look know. at some of these approval ratings for Trump, and yeah. you're like. And the matchup numbers are... Oh, my goodness. Yeah. yeah, Mm -hmm. Right? So... I don't think that's... No, I don't think so. Well, (laughs) I don't know if you want to jump to that or not, but if you look at a couple of questions that I thought were interesting relating to Biden, do you find him mentally fit Mm -hmm. to serve, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, 62% felt like mentally he is not fit. Uh, uh, And then uh, is he too old, right? So I guess this is more like a physical kind of... Mm -hmm. And 64%... Felt he's too old, right? Those are not great numbers. No, they're not at all. I don't know. I, I and I don't know what he does to turn those around. Yeah, I have no idea. Um, there was another one that I thought was interesting. So, fifty-six uh, percent uh, of voters would consider an independent, moderate candidate uh, if Trump it, if it ends up being Trump versus Vi- yeah. Biden. So, is third-party viability back? Uh, and then sixty-three percent believe uh, the country needs a, another choice beyond Trump versus Biden. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was another one that I wanted to find uh, that they specifically noted um, that folks believe uh, that a vote for Biden is effectively a vote vote for Harris because he won't make it through the second right. term. I saw that one. Uh, too. That yeah. one I thought was just oh my goodness. Well, like, this is and, not good. And if you look at the, so here's a question, right? Uh, they said, do you view Trump as a threat to democracy, yes, right? Yeah. 51% said, yes, yeah. we view him. But then you look at the Trump-Biden matchup number, and he's up 47 to yeah. 42%. That's wild. It's so, wild. And if you, I think it's the, the New York Times poll. Uh, they asked a question about, do you think he's guilty of things? Yeah. Uh, and, 56%. And large percentage 56%, yes, yes, believe that he is. But you know com- what? Yeah, we don't committed. care. Yeah. We're going to vote, vote anyway. anyway. Yeah, right? Uh, and I'm like, oh, what are you people thinking? <laughs> yeah, this was super, super interesting. Um, in terms of, before we move on to, uh-huh. to Gaza, um, I thought, Good Lord, this is terrifying. So 47% uh, of folks uh, approve of the Democratic Party overall, Uh which is terrifying, right? right? Uh, Just another sign of that identity crisis I continue to talk about in terms of uh, the Democratic Party. And the the second choice um, for uh, Biden, right, if he weren't to run in 2024, was Kamala Harris, but but at like 20%, which, as I've been saying repeatedly, she's not viable across the board in the, the Democratic Party. 
party. Uh, this I thought was really scary. Uh, RFK Jr., right? Robert, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Uh, at 49%. Elon Musk at 49%. Benjamin Netanyahu, I'm sorry, at 36%, uh, and Nikki Haley at 41% are the most favorable political figures in the the United States. uh, It was Haley, RFK Jr., and um, uh, who was the other one? Uh, There were three of them that had actually the highest net positive, Mm -hmm. right? And so um, I find that, of course, Haley may have undone that this week with her flubbing of... uh, what is it about Republican? Uh, why should uh, we? I see this way too often among Republican candidates for office. You get hit with it. This should have been no, no hard question. You know this the answer to this. Question. This was an easy answer. This is the answer is they're terrified of the MAGA crowd, right? You cannot. That was not the right answer, though, for. Yeah, no, there is no right answer in 2024. That, right, my affirmation for 2024 is to simply get through the election yeah, cycle, yeah. right? That is it. Survive it, right? right? Just get through it. But yeah, she's she's terrified of that base that they know that they still at least have to have not railing against them. I, uh, I'm sorry. That was an internal just, rant. Oh my gosh. Yes, I just, I don't get it. This was not a hard question to answer. It really wasn't, no, no. Uh, and and uh, listen, yeah. of all the Republican candidates out there, I still think Haley's she the is best. She's it. She's right? it. She's best. And, and I think the polling shows she would be the best, for Republicans, she'd be the best matchup against Biden. Yes, right? oh, I agree. Um, uh, but come on, at some point, you got to just take a stand and say, look, of course, Chris Christie's been doing that and he's polling at 3%. So, you know, hey, you know, <laughs> maybe you're right. Maybe there's a trade-off here and it's just about surviving. It right? is. Yeah, yeah. it's got to be just about survival. Uh, so you want to get into, was there anything else generally? Yeah, no, um, before we get into the Israel-Gaza yeah. stuff, um, just interesting. Just, so uh, they asked a question about support for Ukraine in the, in the yeah, Harris yeah. poll and uh, support for Israel, both Uh, Both of them had the exact same number. 65% said we want to support Ukraine and 65% said we want to support Israel, right? Interestingly, yes. Uh, But another 65% think that holding up funding uh, for either of these two countries, uh, Israel or uh, Ukraine, until the southern border is funded. To get the border issue, right? Is is okay. And then they... They basically, Congress said, we're not going to do that. Uh, it was 72%. I'm sorry, I just found that stat. 72% believe a vote for Biden is a vote for Harris. Yeah. 72%. That's wild. Uh, yeah, I, I, the, the Israel-Ukraine uh, number is very, very interesting. Um, yeah, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, back on that, the Biden-Harris yeah. uh, thing. So what does that do for... For him, is that a drag on him? Because she's underwater, even with Democrats, so to speak, is that a drag on his? Oh, absolutely. It's it's a boogeyman for for Trump, the Republicans. Absolutely. Yeah. Totally. Uh, I'm afraid for a lot of, a good portion of them, you're exactly right. Yeah, it's a boogeyman. And I hate saying that, but I think it, I, I don't think there's any way. Listen, we live in a state when President Obama came here, you had people lining up the roadways where he was traveling with Confederate flags. Were we part of the Confederacy, Professor Davenport? We were not, but we were split. So, so I mean, because Oklahoma wasn't a state. There you go. Right? There Oklahoma wasn't a state. Uh, but the Native American tribes, you had some that were supportive of the Union and some that were supportive of the Confederacy. 
uh, but as a state, we didn't exist. Um, uh, so uh, in my imaginary world of there, I can always hold out hope that we wouldn't be. But the fact that I have so many people who think it's appropriate for the to greet the first African-American president who comes to your state to promote something going on in your state and you greet them with a Confederate flag. I'm sorry. I'm the, just, the, the commutation of. I think the, you are yeah. exactly right in that, that there's a large portion of those voters that uh, a, a, a black woman as president is the boogeyman for them. I, uh, and I, yes, yes, I said that. Yeah. So. All right. Now we can get on to the, the Israel Gaza stuff, which all is right, so all over the map. Where do you want to start with this? Because it is, it's. Uh, really interesting. Yeah. So a um, couple of things that there was seemed to be pretty strong unanimity on. Um, uh, almost everybody. So 84 percent said that they agreed that the attack on October 7th was a terrorist attack. Seventy three percent said that the attack was genocidal in nature. Right. right? So uh, and all age groups were pretty much uh, uh, well above 60 sure. percent on those questions. Right. Right. Uh, so what I found interesting, though, is you, if you go to that, do you think that the attack can be justified uh, because of how the treatment of, of the Palestinians, right? Yeah. I didn't like that question can be justified. I would much rather seem stronger. Like, Do you think the attack is justified? To me, that's a little bit clearer yeah. of a message, right? Yeah. Because I can theoretically say, well, I can see how I might not agree with them, right. but I can see how they might justify it, Right. right. And so I'm wondering if these numbers aren't picking up that kind of, of thinking. Yeah, it, it does seem to be uh, pointed. Some of these questions seem to be very pointed. You, you're missing uh, alternatives that would probably be the majority uh, of folks in, in some of these questions. It, I don't yeah. know. But if you look at that, so again, seven, uh, 73% said they didn't think it could be justified, right? right? But you, you see a very significant age difference yes, in the absolutely. response to this, right? Yeah. With 60% of 18 to 24-year-olds saying, yes, yes it, it could be, be. Yeah. right? right. Uh, no other age group agreed that it could be. Right. And the older the group, yeah, the, the less less, yeah. the less they say that, right? right. And so uh, what is going on with that age group that um, that has them so out of step with sure. the older age group? And even, um, even their next cohort, right? So yeah. the stronger millennial, right? We're not in line with, right. with that younger generation sure. on that, right? Absolutely. So. Uh, as some of it is a lack of history, right? Lack of knowledge. Um, but interestingly enough, and I think I've mentioned it briefly before, um, you've got a digital war front that's also going on, right? Um, Israel, both Israel and, and the not Hamas, but Palestinians, uh, generally speaking, uh, are waging a war on the things like TikTok. Specifically is what we've been hearing uh, through different news stories that TikTok has been uh, pushing. Uh, the algorithm has been pushing largely pro-Palestinian, which is, let me again clarify that Palestine and Palestinians are not Hamas, right? Because I think that there is a false equivalency here. Yes, um, Although I keep getting conflicting messages as to the extent to which Hamas does or does not have support from Palestinians, it seems they have stronger support in Gaza 
than in the West Bank. Sure. Well, I'm yeah, not sure right. that's correct. But, uh, no, it is because the Palestinian Authority, right. the PLA, uh, is is largely in, is, in, is in charge, I'm sorry, in the West Bank right. uh, while Hamas took power in Gaza. In Gaza. Uh, but that was a generation ago, right? I Again, I need to reiterate as uh, a comparative theorist uh, that, you know, th- this generation of Palestinians did not elect Hamas. They There's not been another fact, election held. And in fact, Hamas has not permitted any other elections to occur, right? right? Uh, and and you have to, to say, okay, we have Hamas from the Gaza, those who live in Gaza, yeah. the Palestinians, we have Hamas and we have Israel. Who do we blame more for our situation? Sure. And I think they are looking at them both saying they both suck. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Uh, You're getting a backlash uh, amongst Israeli citizens against Netanyahu yes. uh, and the response right and now. I think and so deservedly that's, so. That's, that's an interesting segue. But generally speaking, just to answer uh, your first question, I think that it is uh, a a large mis- and disinformation campaign uh, and a lack of knowledge, right? Historical context for uh, specifically the the younger, younger, right? The Gen Z. Uh, and you've seen, you know, riots break out in high schools, right? There was one uh, that I was talking to my students at OCCC about a couple of weeks ago, just before Christmas, um, where uh, this teacher had posted uh, that she stood with Israel and she was at a pro-Israel demonstration um, and that got all over her social media and the kids picked it up and they uh, they, I mean, it was a huge riot, effectively, um, and the teacher had to be uh, hidden in a closet. I mean, this was, uh, and this is going on across the country. And so, uh, and again, these these are kids in you know Queensboro, New York. How much context, right? Historical context, do you have? Uh, and and I ask that of all Americans, right? This is a, an issue that is extremely nuanced and it, it is much deeper than I think a lot of Americans sure. want to realize. This is not just a religious conflict. No, this is, is a political conflict. This is a sovereignty, self-determination, autonomy, uh, international communities recognition type of conflict, right? Um, and so again, it just kind of, that's Dr. Stacy's rant of the day. Uh, it, it gets conflated in it the United States. It goes to the point, I mean, we've seen this for a long time, for as long as I can remember, Americans aren't that familiar with things outside our borders. No, but we like our friends and we know who our friends are. Right. And um, and I think the, the fact that you have these two things going on, you have Israel as a nation state surrounded historically by others that don't like them. Right. Right. Uh, they're the only democratic system within that right. area. Uh, they have historically been a U.S. ally. Yes. Um, but their treatment of the Palestinians is not the kind of treatment that we would historically say that's a good thing. Right. right? Uh, and so you have these two tensions yeah. going on. Uh, but when it comes into this kind of conflict, any of that nuance seems to just evaporate oh, yeah, and you're either for yeah, one side or you're for the and other side. And I think, side, the, right? and I, you know, some of these questions, like the two-state solution question, I think that's why they hit me so viscerally um, because it's not, it's not black and white, right? You see this, this conflict is extremely sure. muddy. Um, I, the, the Biden numbers here, uh, I, I think, are great. So approval of the handling uh, of the war between Israel and Hamas, uh, Biden's approval stands at 42%. 
Um, and I would continue, I would imagine it would continue uh, to go down. And particularly, as you noted, uh, only, you know, 33 percent in the New York Times poll uh, approve of Biden's handling of Gaza. Uh, and that goes way down under 30, uh, the age under age 30, I'm sorry, uh, approval is at 26 percent just generally overall uh, and then 20 percent on Gaza specifically, 19 uh, percent because he is believed that he is too supportive uh, of Israel. And so you do really have this shifting tide, right? While overwhelmingly Americans pulled in both polls uh, do say that Israel was hit by a terrorist attack uh, and should be able to uh, defend itself, the manner in which, right, and sure. to the extent, uh, I think that it, that Netanyahu's military uh, is going to right now is starting to wane American support, specifically the, the millennial and under crowd. Yes. And in that question about yeah. uh, too supportive Israel, yeah. again, you see this age break, right? Yes. That, and now the, the New York Times poll uses different age brackets, yes. but 18 to 29 were the, the ones who most likely still over majority yeah. said that that they didn't think he was too supportive. But 45 percent right. said he was, was too supportive. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Much higher than the other the other yeah. three bra age brackets. The other thing I thought was the size of the split mm -hmm. on the question of who do you think would do a better job, job yeah. Trump or Biden, right? Yeah. Trump getting 46% and Biden 38%, yeah. right? Uh, that is because now you're seeing voters think, uh, I think there was somewhere in one of these, voters think Trump would do a better job on the economy mm -hmm. and they think he'd do a better job on foreign affairs. Which now, to me tells me maybe this a little is, bit about these Maybe these, these voters. Are, voters are forgetting the four years of Trump. I, I don't know. Maybe I don't know if they're like, look, things are, we just don't like the way things are going. So whoever is, I don't know what's going on here. I think specifically on this issue, overwhelmingly Americans support Israel yes. blindly right. and they saw Trump move the embassy to Jerusalem. He, they true. saw the moves right. Right. that Trump made and knows how close, at least until recently, uh, he has kept Netanyahu, right? The the rhetoric on Netanyahu is, for Trump has only changed recently. Right. And that's what I'm, I was, crazy. Trump came out and said, uh, he was praising yeah. Hamas, at least saying they were so smart in how they attacked Israel. And, yeah. and it's like, and Israel just fumbled the ball. And, and, and yet, all of these folks who want to support Israel are saying, yeah, we think Trump would do a better job. Right. I, there's some disconnect exactly. going on here yeah. that that uh, that I don't get. It's what made a lot of these uh, the results of these questions almost more confusing than they were enlightening. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Uh, Forty-eight percent to thirty percent um, believe that Israel is not taking enough care uh, to avoid civilians in Gaza. Uh, and as you mentioned, right, forty-six to thirty-eight percent Trump uh, is trusted more to handle Gaza. Um, I, you know, it's interesting. Because, of course, the United States has now, uh, you know, rejected a resolution calling for a ceasefire um, on civilian casualties. So those those Biden approval numbers saying that, um, you know, we're unhappy with your response because you're too supportive of Israel. And yet, you know, we're making these very public declarations like in the United Nations that we're not going to support a ceasefire. I, I, it's it's counterintuitive, I think. Um, I've seen a lot, a lot of posts on social media uh, from younger uh, Palestinian Americans, Arab Americans, uh, just regular Americans, right, um, who are very upset, right? I've seen them holding signs that say, don't make me vote for Trump. 
I, if I'm um, lost for words on this this situation um, in in the United States specifically, um, and and our our response. So I want to go back to the Harris poll yeah. for a second um, because they touch on some things. Uh, if you remember, we had um, Dr. Brett Sharp and Dr. Shanna Padgham on back in November before uh, the um, uh, OPSA meeting, right? And I was going to ask a question and I decided to hold off because yeah. I wasn't ready to ask that in public. Okay. But this poll touches on that issue, okay. uh, which is uh, rising anti-Semitism yeah. and anti-Semitism on specifically on college campuses, Campus. yeah. right? Sure. Uh, and so in just the general, uh, the public said both that they think that anti-Semitism is growing in the country at 75 percent said yes. They also said that that 65 percent of them also said we also think Muslim discrimination against Muslims yeah. is growing as yeah. well. Right. And I can see that. Oh, I can see see both of those. Right. Sixty eight percent said that they believed that there was growing anti-Semitism on college campuses. Mm-hmm. And another 76% said that there was an increase in Jewish harassment on college campuses, right? This is the the Harvard poll. Um, And so whether or not, and let's let's stipulate this, the environments can be different at different college campuses and different types of colleges. So if you look at our college, Rose State College, I don't think you see this kind of stuff going on, but our student population is much different. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and we have students that are focused not just on trying to get through college, but taking care of their families, yeah. working a full-time job, all of these other yeah. concerns. And they're not as immersed in some of this as yeah. students who are at some elite universities. Right. They don't have to worry about supporting their families. We also have right? a probably negligible population of Jewish students on campus. I would be surprised. I would be surprised if we did, yeah. right? Uh, I don't know. Uh, and and that's probably true across the state, I would although assume, yeah, I, I, probably OU and OSU yeah. might have a higher population than, say, the regional universities, sure. which are going to have a higher population than maybe, say, community colleges, right? right? Uh, so, yes, I think I think you're exactly right on that. So, let's, let's make sure people understand different colleges can have different kinds of environments and different kinds of things, dynamics playing out over these kinds of issues, right? Um, But the perception that there's this, whether or not that perception is real, and and, uh, we don't have to go there right now, but whether or not that perception is real, to me, doesn't matter as much as if the public thinks there's a problem there, and you're going to those those people saying, we want your money, uh, you've got a problem. You have a real problem, right? Um, and then, of course, they asked a whole bunch of questions about the three university presidents yeah. that went before Congress. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a debacle from all angles. Yeah. Uh, they did not perform well. They got hit from the left and the right on their performance. Uh, and this poll kind of bears that out. Uh uh, most people didn't think that they condemned anti-Semitism enough on their right. campuses. You had 62% who said that they didn't. There was a break in age groups on this, right? So mm-hmm. under 45, you had more support saying, yeah, they addressed it, but, but right. narrowly for the the two older ones of that category. So 25 to 34 and 35 to 44, both around 50%, okay. 55%. 18 to 24-year-olds, though, 67% said they did it. You go to the uh, above 45, mm-hmm. 45, 54, 62% said no. 
73% of 55 to 4 year olds said no. 65 plus, 81% said no, right? So there's this huge divide on this perception of what they should have done. Um, Now, I'm probably going to get into all sorts of hot water with some folks on this other question. So they asked this question, and I don't like two-part questions. Yeah. uh, Because I think, you know, but but they said, um, is... Um, should hate speech regarding Jews be viewed as free speech or should there be consequences for that, right? Should, and and again, there's this huge, there's this age divide, mm-hmm. uh, 53% of 18 to 24 year olds said it should be free, considered free speech. Uh, all other age brackets increasingly by age said that they should face consequences, right? right? Um I'm probably going to side with the youngsters more on this. Yeah. Uh, first of all, there's no agreed upon definition of what constitutes hate speech. Agree. We yeah. don't, that's a, that's a term that I feel like oftentimes from both sides gets thrown around when they don't like something somebody else yeah, says. Right. And listen, there's all sorts of offensive speech. Yep. I can agree. I hear people, I see people on Twitter all the time that say things that I just like, that is so egregious. That's mm-hmm. offensive. But the First Amendment protects that. Right now, private uh, universities can have more strict speech codes. I don't think they necessarily should, Should, but they can. Um, uh, But uh, public universities are bound by the First Amendment Mm -hmm. uh, and and should should honor that. Um, I think where these college presidents got into trouble was the perception that all of a sudden they were for free speech when in past instances they had clamped down on speech yeah, that they had not right? right? Yeah. Uh, and I think that's what yeah. got them in hot I think water, that's fair. right? Um, uh, so uh, their performance, and we've already seen one of those college presidents, the, the president of, uh, I think it was MIT, is that right? No, 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 it was the University of Penn. Penn. Yeah, yeah. Uh, University of Pennsylvania. Uh, she resigned. Right. Uh, the president of Harvard, the board, their official governing board has backed her, but she's still under severe criticism. I'm not sure about the president of MIT. So, you know. The Harvard president is having, I've got, I've got feelings about that one, but I'm going to let it go. Um, Yeah. I just wonder, my friend, um, what if the question is reversed? Right. What if the question is, um, you know, is it okay for Israeli settlers to encroach upon land that was decided in an international treaty? Um, You know what I mean? If if the question had been turned around and if it had been turned around uh, in, you know, that congressional hearing and in this poll, what would the what would that look like? I I think you're right. Um, and, and that goes to some of this, this how you ask questions yes. really matters. What questions yeah. you ask matters. Um, they ask a question, does calling for genocide of Jews constitute mm-hmm. hate speech? Obviously, vast majority of people said yes. Sure. So, I mean, almost 80% said yes. But again, constitutionally, hate speech is protected speech, is. right? Uh, and... And I think there's also this question of, as we have learned with social media, while you may utter protected speech that is protected from government retribution, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean you won't suffer consequences. Right. There's the right? court of public opinion that exists And out I there. think we've seen some of that play out over this issue, Absolutely. right? Uh, and so 
I think that question of consequences, where should those consequences come from? Should the government punish them, right? right. So, yeah. I, yes, it is, yeah. there were some questions there. Um, there was a question about identity politics dominating universities. Again, a large, 64% believe that identity politics does dominate at universities. Uh, there was a question that was basically a critical race theory question that wasn't named critical race yeah. theory. Yeah. Uh, basically, are white people oppressors? Yeah. Um, again, 65% said, no, we don't agree with that. Although, again, there was a divide in that younger cohort, 18 to 24, mm -hmm. 79% said yes, right? They were the only age group that said yes. Although the next age group, that 25 to 34, 51% opposed, so it was narrow. Right. Above that, it's over 60% for the rest. Again, as you go older age bracket, mm -hmm. the older you oppose that. So I thought that was interesting as well, uh, that you have this, again, this divide between those younger cohorts. Now, I have seen, I saw a guy who was writing up, criticizing this, this, this poll okay. uh, and saying that if you look at other polls, they weren't, they, it wasn't consistent with these other polls, all right? Um, the one poll that I remember him comparing this to, though, remember, this is a poll of registered right. voters. Yeah. The poll he was comparing it to was just the general population, okay. right? Yeah. We know there's a difference between yeah. those two. Absolutely. And so uh, that was that was the one criticism I had of, of his, his, his look at this was, you're not exactly comparing apples to apples here. Uh, and we know that when you're looking at voters, you're looking at usually a higher educated, yes. higher income and older voter, right. right? And so even when you're looking at that younger cohort, mm -hmm. they're going to be tend to come from wealthier families uh, and more educated families, yeah. right? And so... Which is why I think it that explains a lot of the responses I, in, I think, in this Harvard poll. I think you have... It skews conservative, for me. Well, uh, yes and yes and no, right? So not with that younger cohort. Not with the younger yeah, cohort. Not no. with that younger cohort. No, but the question is some even, of these others. I don't, uh, right, this yeah. Tuesday solution question really plagues me. So, so talk about that so for a second. Let's, listeners, let's dig, dig into that. Listeners, this is the question. Do you think that the long-term answer to the Israeli-Palestinian dispute is for Arab states to absorb Palestine uh, or Palestinians, for there to be two states, Israel and Palestine, or for Israel to be ended and given to Hamas and Palestine. So already I agree with Professor Davenport's assessment that, my God, what a compound question. Right. But the right. one one response that is not given that I think overwhelmingly given, again, the response and the demographics, as you just pointed out, of these registered voters, which would be Israel to absorb Gaza in the West Bank. Um, that's not even an option. Right. Yes. It's it's problematic. And of course, 60 percent overwhelmingly uh, support a two state solution in, uh, on Israel and Palestine, um, which, uh, again, is uh, very interesting. Again, the age demographics, 18 to 24. This is the Harris poll, Harvard Harris poll. Uh, 51 percent of 18 to 24 year olds believe that Israel should be ended. Um, but no other, of course, uh, age cohort believes that the rest of them uh, starting at 49 percent for 25 to 34 year olds so the millennial generation um, believe that it, the two-state solution would be the, the best option. Um, this is, right, I think that's about as likely as the, a ceasefire coming in Ukraine. <laughs> well, uh, there are all sorts of complications with, with yeah. that. And 
everybody might have a different idea of what that means, right? right? There's no, this is my problem. When you're asking people about questions about subjects for which you know their knowledge is probably, you need to provide a baseline of information to make sure everybody's on the same page as to what we're talking about. Then you ask the question, Right. right? Yes, that makes the question take a little bit longer, but it ensures that you've got some Data, baseline level of yeah, information to viable. We're running out of time. Oh dear! Um, As usual, the lovely peaches reminded me uh, that uh, that we're br- brushing up. Uh, so, real quickly, just real quickly, we touched on this earlier. Yeah. This time Sienna poll. Yeah. Overall, Trump 46, Biden 44 percent. Favorability: Biden at 39 percent, Trump at 43 percent. Or, uh, yeah, Biden approval. That's favorability. Um, and again, head to head, Trump, 46, 44. You go to this question, do you think Trump's guilty of these crimes? 47% said yes. Yep. And they're going to vote for him anyway. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you know? They're just going to roll the dice. Uh, I guess. He might not get through know, a second right? term either. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the bottom line is these polls are all over the place. Yeah. Some of the question wording is not great. Uh, and so you got to be careful about how you interpret this. Yes, I think, and I really do want to explore this question of uh, anti-Semitism on campuses, identity politics. These are for other other episodes later okay. on down the road. Uh, but they lead to some interesting questions. Um, and they help explain some of the divide over higher education yes. today. Um, but we need to get out of here. Yes, I want to wish you a happy Indeed. new year. I hope yes. you have a great one. Me too. Uh, wish our listeners, we thank them. Yeah, thank thank you, you to Possibilities yes. Inc. for making this podcast w- way more uh, attractive to listen to than it had been before. Absolutely. Uh, and we love our partners here we at do. Possibilities Inc. Thank you to Lauren for being our producer, we who we her. affectionately refer to as Peaches. Yeah. Uh, and Um, wish everybody a happy new year. We will see you in 2024. Yay. We love communication that goes both ways, not just you listening to us pontificate. We would love to hear from our audience. If you have comments, suggestions, or would like to contact us about possibly being a guest on the show, please email notmygeneration at raider.rose.edu.